This episode is brought to you by Tempest Fugitives. I recently came into the possession of a heavy Tempest Fugitives gorget to protect my neck. If I was in the middle of a nuclear explosion wearing that thing, I think the only thing that would remain of me would be my neck. That's how much protection it offers. For an absolutely superb selection of weapons, armor, and reading material, visit www.tempestswords.co.uk. What's up everybody and welcome to this episode of Blades 4 Days where we're going to be talking about swords and sword fighting and Russian LARP and what it's like to be in a HEMA relationship. I'm your host Jordan and joining me today is one of the best swordsmen in the land, Alexander Makarov. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, just computers man, I'm so sorry I'm late. Uh, no worries, no worries at all. Computers are good, just they're not perfect. That's fine. <laughs> I was, um, yeah, I got home, computer needed to restart, and I was like, I could use Melissa's laptop. And then I'm like, <laughs> I don't know any of her passwords. So then, you know, they're probably like, I, th- I think I know one of them because it's my name. But I don't know, ah. like, even if I get onto that, I don't know the Zoom passwords or anything like that. Well. So, yeah. Um, so, how have you been? I am doing here uh, the, the background. Yes. Yes, so it's how I've been, basically. I yeah, spent last, actually, last couple of weeks, I was on holidays. We went to Spain and to Pembrokeshire. So, we passed eons away at some point. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, but yeah, a lot of babysitting and I uh, today went uh, first time in nursery for one hour yet, but yeah, it's yeah, many crazy things. A lot of work, a lot of work with temples, a lot of work with other projects. Uh, so yeah, very busy. Yeah, I, um, I love Pembrokeshire. I think it's a great place. Um, I spent my birthday there once, and because uh, I was mm. at the time, I was reading this book about uh, William Marshall, and um, uh, mm. you know, I, I went to Pembroke Castle. Um, mm-hmm. The tour guide there just kept getting like stuff wrong about William Marshall, and I, was, like, <laughs> and I kept sort of leaning down to Melissa and being like, "No, that's that's not true. Actually, it's you know, it was actually this date or something like that." Um, so yeah, but I think he overheard me a couple of times, so I don't think he liked me very much. Um, it's fine. Actually, Pembroke Castle, we, we stayed in Pembroke for a couple of nights, and uh, Pembroke Castle actually quite impressive, it's a big one, a big one. But I was more impressed by uh, Pembrokeshire beaches, the, I mean, despite the <laughs> not very warm ones, they look amazing, like, yeah. Yeah, it's a stunning area. Beauty. Yeah. Um, What's really funny is like this, you know, years and years ago, uh, we went, we went to Pembroke and um, I was working part time uh, in Bristol as a barista because I'd just come back from teaching in Italy and I needed like a part time job. So Mm -hmm. I was working in this coffee shop in, uh, in Bristol and um, like I make a shit cup of coffee. Like I make a really, really bad cup of coffee. But I think that the, um, I think the manager just liked me because I would talk to the customers and, and stuff like that. But, you know, they never asked me for coffee. Like, cause I'd come over with a, a mug of coffee and be like, hey, do you want to drink this? And they were like, not really. And I'm like, nah, don't blame you. <laughs> um, but one day somebody came in and said to me, uh, you know, oh, how was your weekend? And I said, oh, I did some guerrilla camping. And we basically, we snuck into the grounds of Manabir Castle, uh, Melissa and I, uh, which is a, a castle in Pembrokeshire. And mm-hmm. um, we just snuck into the grounds because the gate was open and we just slept mm-hmm. in our sleeping bags under the stars and then left in the morning before anybody was, uh, anybody, you know, had woken <laughs> up, went down to the beach and hung out there. And the guy's kind of like, oh, Manabir Castle. And I said, yeah. And he said, Manabir Castle. And I went, yeah, that's right. And he went, um, my family owns that castle. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, not Manabir Castle. No, a different castle. 
near Nadia, you know, so. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's funny coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so a bit awkward, but uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, family trips. What's it like raising a kid in lockdown? Uh, you know, first of all, I think it's really good for the kid because kind of uh, 24 hours, seven days a week, she is with her mom and papa. So, well, uh, and actually it's, I think it's even easier to degree. So it's uh, in this uh, way, uh, lockdown uh, may is better. On the other hand, it made it worse because uh, our parents uh, were not able to come. So uh, because of uh, lockdowns, because of uh, quarantines and so on and so forth, we actually were supposed to go to Montenegro uh, instead of Spain. We went to Spain, but we were supposed to go to Montenegro where uh, at the moment Marsha's parents are. Uh, and like last moment, it uh, turned red. It was added to the red list, so it was kind of so we had had to change plans like literally uh, in twenty minutes, basically. Oh man! Yeah. Yeah. So so it's quite annoying, but yeah, for the kid it's fine. And uh, I don't know if you know, we moved in our own house, and we have a huge garden. I, Reasonably big gun, not a huge one. And she loves to crawl around it. So, I mean, yeah, for the kids, it's for the best, to be honest. I'll yeah. be honest with you, like, rising, uh, like, yeah, baby in lockdown is the best because, yeah, everything is here and no kind of uh, rational hurry in any aspect of the life. So, yeah, good for my nephew because my nephew was born i think like just before lockdown um mm. and you know i think i think it's the same for uh the same for him in that he's he's had the attention of his parents the whole time um and now that lockdown's easing and they're going places it's like i turned up you know and it was the first <laughs> time like it was the first time we'd met properly and he's like nah, i don't like this guy you know <laughs> so he's just <laughs> yeah, but it's also a question of age sometimes, yeah, so it's a year and a half, when they are and a half, they're kind of quite uh, suspicious of other people, they yeah. don't really know, so they need time, when they're like, I don't know, half a year old, they kind of don't care who holds them. Really. Yeah. I was, um... so, yeah. I was talking to Matt Easton and he said, you know, being in, being in a HEMA relationship, like being a HEMA couple, um, it's difficult because you can't really leave the kids with one, you know, so he said he can't leave the kids with Lucy and bugger off to like a HEMA event. Um, yeah, probably. I mean, it's it it wasn't a pro it wasn't a problem yet for us, obviously, <laughs> because yeah, during the lockdown. But yeah, it's something which would need to be negotiated. Also, obviously, like me and Marshall, we were involved in organization of many uh, events, and yeah, we said, "Bye, bye. <laughs> we are no more here." <laughs> okay, we we probably would uh, run. I probably will be involved in running English size of open and possibly Albion Cup. Uh, but yes, now people out there need to be more adult <laughs> and do more stuff. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, you were instrumental in the creation of Wessex League as well, right? Uh, yeah, I actually can tell you the story of how we. Uh, how it started. It's actually quite a kind of funny story to a degree. Uh, original idea actually belongs to, okay, original idea was kind of split across different people. Uh, my idea was, yes, like the UK needs uh, way more competitions. Uh, yeah, back then, I don't know, 2015, 2016. Okay, 2016, we had asked a lot. Before then, there was a desert. And for me, a person coming from Russia, where like every uh, every club basically uh, considered as an honor to run an event, a, a competition at least, at least a small one, like maybe like for newbies or something like this, it was kind of 
wild degree. So yeah, but, uh, and <clears throat> another idea of, of the league itself actually belonged to uh, uh, James Wiggins. Uh, you obviously should know him. So, and uh, and originally, <laughs> so idea uh, was to run a, a leak across M4 corridor, and the first name was M4 League. Well, <laughs> <laughs> luckily, we didn't stick to it. So, <laughs> but yeah, we were sitting uh, uh, the kind of put on paper plan uh, uh, was made in in the middle of nowhere in Sweden in a, a place called Christenholm, where uh, the last Swedish Open was held uh, as a part of uh, Nordic Historical Fencing League in the last year of Nordic Historical League, Nordic Historical Fencing League in 2017. We were sitting around the table. Uh, so it was James, Beam, uh, John Middleton, and I. And yeah, they said, said, yeah, we need more competitions. Let's run four competitions starting from September. And it was June, so starting from September, let's run four competitions every month of competition. It's uh, a bit skeptical initially in terms of like, oh, how we could organize uh, four competitions having four events, basically having like three months now pocket but yeah, it, it, it went really well so we had obviously great team reasonably experienced we run uh, competitions and yeah so i mean i cannot say that it's only me or only marsha Every, everyone had his own play obviously yeah yeah it was <laughs> great fun yeah <laughs> what's really important back then like after four competitions like through each event we saw improvement of fencing like of style of fencing of quality of fencing and uh, building relationships between clubs it's something actually uh uk okay south of england how to call this like south of uk the uk clubs were lacking before I think it's also helped uh, to establish kind of relationship and links. And uh, funny enough, after first round of Wessex League, uh, many sparring days appeared uh, around South South England, like sparring days in Southampton, I believe. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure about Bristol, probably Bristol used to have it before. But people, yeah, started traveling around, visiting other clubs. Like, I think. There was sparring group in Bath for some time. Yeah, something like this. Yeah, I think um, I think the Wessex League because uh, it was my first competition in Britain, um, mm -hmm. and you know I've I've talked about it on this, um, and I, I've I've had maybe an idea. I don't know if I'm going to do it yet because um, I'm I'm not like big into competitions personally mm -hmm. um i enjoy sparring i love sparring i'll fight anybody with anything you know um and i'm happy to travel yeah. like you know to, to different places to do it um but um emilia came up to me uh mm -hmm. at, at fight camp and she was like do you want to we're hoping to run um wessex league in oxford in december do you feel like coming along mm -hmm. and i was like well, you know, I mean, you've asked me and an invitation from Emilia's kind of a big yeah. honor. So, yeah, sure. But I don't know. Like, I, I had this idea at some point. I might train to do it with my left hand and just fight all the competition <laughs> with my left hand um, because I want to do something different. Do you know what I mean? Um, uh, yeah, I do uh, understand what you mean. Um, it's actually quite interesting uh, when you're saying like you don't like competitions. Um, it's something I have kind of mixed feelings uh, about it. On one hand, obviously it's hobby and everyone is uh, free to do whatever they want. It's kind of, you do what you fancy about that, uh, that stop. But I strongly believe that competitions uh, is another kind of training, if you um, uh, understand what I mean. Because, I mean, and for many reasons, let's say, for example, you you are 
a, a person is a very defensive fencer. And in a sparring, you always can uh, stick to this, your defensive style. But in competition, basically, uh, you're forced to fight outside your comfort zone. So imagine like you are very defensive, but your opponent uh, score a point against you and you have like one, two minutes to score back, otherwise you will lose. And this forces you to think differently, think outside the box. Also, because I, sparring is a game, uh, pure sparring is a game and uh, you have nothing to lose. You can um, try things, you can not heavily thinking about how you would win against your opponent. You're trying to do the stuff. But at the end of the day, uh, I don't know, like a martial art or like fencing is about winning, about like, I don't know, if it's a duel or it's a self-defense, it's not dying and probably kill your opponent or injure your opponent. And um, it's something I actually found that not many clubs actually teaching uh, of processing. I actually don't know if it's even possible how to process, how to read your opponent, how to understand where the weaknesses and where the strengths in a period of, I don't know, 15, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, one minute. It's, and it's, I think like as in competitions, where if you, I, I don't know what else could uh, teach you that. So, and because of this, I really like competitions. So yeah, winning, uh, I, we're not a professional sport, uh, we're winning yeah, a piece of metal, like round piece of metal. But this experience of understanding how do you perform under pressure? How do your opponent perform under pressure? How you can quickly understand, uh, how you could quickly adapt because I personally had uh, experience in my fights when we were fighting, I was losing, I changed my style, I started winning. My opponent changed his style, he started winning. I changed my style again. It's all this for like three minutes, within three minutes. And this kind of experience uh, priceless, I think. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think I know what you mean because I remember I was losing a match in, uh, so I think it was Sword and Buckler in Wessex League in uh, Oxford, I think. Um, and I'd been trying to create an opening in this opponent, like, in this opponent but he just kept, uh, just like kept coming at me. So um, about halfway through, I thought, okay, if I don't attack, um, if I don't take the war, you know, um, I'm going to lose this. So... Uh, whereas before I'd sort of moved quite cautiously, uh, I, I sort of came out of the gate, um, came out of my corner and just like th sort of threw a salvo of attacks, uh, managed to land a thrust in the mask. Um, so, yeah, I, I do understand that. I know what you mean in terms of that interplay between offense and defense and sort of... Um, and. Uh, I guess it isn't something that I do very much outside of competitions because a lot of the time when I am sparring outside of competitions, it's I'm training my guys. So I'm training my students. Um, so I'm not going to like batter them, you know, <laughs> into submission. Yeah, really. it's different, different sports. Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> developing actually, yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to be taking it at a little bit slower pace and, and uh, mm. stuff like that. So, yeah, um, I, I can appreciate that. And it is one of the things that I think keeps pulling me back to competitions is that, like, I'm like, ah, you know, and, and I keep saying to Melissa, you know, this would be my last one, I think. Because the other thing <laughs> for me, um, is that I want, like, I know that my students want to take part in competitions as well. And... Uh, uh, like I don't want to compete against them um, because if they were like, you know, if I'm training them, um, I don't want to compete against my, against my own students in the same way that, could you imagine like the end of karate kid where Danielson has to fight Mr. Miyagi and Mr. Miyagi's like, you know, it's just going at him. Kind of thing. <laughs> um, it's not something I see in other martial arts. And I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't know how I feel about it. Um, so that's he, um, yes, interesting. Uh, but again, it's a question of um, well, 
I've been in many situations when I was fighting or was competing against my instructors. Uh, and uh, I think that <laughs> my uh, probably favorite story would be uh, uh, me having a history of fighting against Ping. You probably know Ping. Mm-hmm. And he was basically my instructor in uh, Reprendaga. And uh, ultimately, last, he were, his very, very last competitive fight was against me and I won. So it's yeah, it could be a very interesting story, you know. It's yeah. always about emotions, and emotions could be different. Uh, so yeah, when when you speak about different uh, martial arts, I mean, I'm not, uh, I don't have good knowledge of other martial arts to be honest. Obviously, like I think in sport fencing, it's it happens more or less regularly. Though probably in sport fencing, uh, instructors usually way old and maybe not competing. Compete already is different kind of, uh, uh, I'll say, different aging situation, different kind of skill level situation. Yeah, I think everyone would have to answer this question for their, uh, themselves. I, I don't see a problem facing my uh, instructors or my students in the competition. Mm. I'll try to be, uh, do the best to beat them. But if my uh, student would beat me, it would be win. If I beat beat him or her, it would be win. If they beat me, I, I win. So it's even better situation if you think about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you cannot <Yeah>. lose. <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I've said that to I've said that to some of my students whenever they have beaten me in the class, and they're just like, yeah, like you know, I got it, and I'm just like, yeah, but each of your victories is one of my victories. So, you know, like, so I win either way. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I know what you mean. And like, uh, you know, any any conversation with uh, humorists that I've had about who are the, the best sort of fences around, uh, you and Marsha generally come up fairly quickly um thank you <laughs> i didn't know that <laughs> yeah oh come on um so yeah i mean uh, th- that's something i was quite curious about did you who like did you meet Marsha in hema or did you guys get into it together or did you introduce her or did she introduce you i was just her instructor aha uh-huh, okay <laughs> <laughs> Probably something I would have been cancelled. <laughs> you maybe would have to cut it off. <laughs> no, that's fine. I was. Um, it was a different context, but I was Melissa's instructor as well. Um, but it was for like reenactment, so that's how we met. Uh, well, we actually met because she shot me in the testicles with an arrow. Um, yeah, I think I heard the story on one of your podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it was Well, I mean, it wasn't hilarious at the time. I was, like, I, was, I was just kind of lying there. And then when she came over and she's like, hey, are you okay? I was trying to make it look cool. Like, you know, sort of like lie there with my, my head in my hand. Like, yeah, no, I'm cool. I'm, I'm down here. I'm just chilling, you know. <laughs> Well, uh, it's your fault, let's <laughs> be honest. I mean, I um, felt, uh, no, I, um, I rewatched few fencers and competitions when they came without uh, uh, Grand Protector. <laughs> so yeah. if you didn't have Grand Protector in the Arena event, it's only your fault, no one else. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I wasn't wearing one uh, because it was like it was an off target area it didn't really you know um it didn't really come up as a problem before because a lot of the strikes that people put in you know super controlled you have to be in reenactment because you're not wearing any you know you're not wearing a mask you're not wearing any padded protection um i was after that i was after that day because melissa's aim was uh, a little off um <laughs> so yeah yeah so you, you were Marsha's instructor. Uh, it, was that in Britain? No, 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 no. So it, I started, uh, well, it's a complicated story because it all started in Russia. 
and uh, the word HEMA came to Russia when we already left it. So we called it something like geofencing, fencing geo, whatever it is uh, in translation. It, funny enough, came from LARPing. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard stories of Russian LARPing, but basically, uh, so we, yeah, we, uh, I, I joined, um, I joined uh, university club, it's called Club of Historical Reenactment, but realistically it was everything starting from reenactment, historical dancing, LARPing, archering, uh, whatever it is. And, uh, well, I was trained uh, for, Larping, but there is always a but. Uh, in this case, uh, our source was uh, hot and cold steel. So technically, it's human. Yeah. We, we are trained by uh, I, my first uh, like uh, source was uh, hot, uh, hot and, uh, yeah, well, and um, many Russian larpers enjoyed fencing, uh, and we were using back then. Kind of weapon made from a uh, sort of fiberglass mixed with epoxy. Okay. Uh, well, uh, it's uh, material, specific material used in computers, basically, mostly. Uh, and it's uh, quite similar to Black Fencer weapon. Yeah. So it's quite stiff, though you can fence. Uh, if you fence accurately, you can fence without protection. And when I started, the only required uh, piece of equipment was mask. Um, still, there were uh, still tournaments where they even didn't wear mask. Larping tournaments. He was all fun and games until someone was an eye, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think someone lost an eye and they started requiring a mask. Then someone uh, got a broken throat and they started requiring a throat protector. Yeah. So <laughs> step by step, you know. Yeah, well, uh, so yeah, uh, and I enjoyed it. I went to a tournament, uh, kind of newbies tournament. Uh, I enjoyed it and within club I started uh, running this, um, this area of kind of one-to-one -one fencing uh, based mostly on Hartman again. And Masha joined a bit later, uh, came to the university, joined the club for LARPing and so on and so forth. And she enjoyed, enjoyed it one-to-one um, uh, -one fencing and <laughs> it came. <laughs> Actually, we were dating for four and a half years before we moved to the UK. Actually, we already got married when we moved to the UK. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So, like, came to the UK and took it by storm. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I don't want to be kind of rude, but when we came to the UK, the uh, scene was so underdeveloped. <laughs> uh, I mean, after Russia, it felt a bit weird, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I, a lot of the people that I've spoken to, they, they kind of... They kind of had this thing where they looked around and there wasn't really all that much, you, you know, HEMA wasn't really a thing. It was kind of the Wild West where it's just like, you know, um, they're there. They've got like a chip fryer for a mask because masks aren't a thing, <laughs> you know, and they're just like, oh, we'll just make it up as we go. And then like gradually it's become HEMA. But like a lot of the reasons that they had for starting clubs was just because they needed people to fight. And so they're like... You know, you, you'll do. We'll like, we'll get you. We'll train you up, and you know, stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, well, it's how it started everywhere. I think. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. um, I mean, in uh, in London, the first time you and I fought, I think it was the first time you and I fought. Yeah, it was the first time you and yeah, I fought. Uh, uh, cross, yeah. That's it. Yeah, and. Um, it was like it was really it was really interesting for me because everyone's like oh, that's Sasha Makarov he's, he's really good like you should like fight him see what happens and we had a we had a fight and uh I managed to get like I think I managed to get one hit on you in the whole evening um, oh I don't remember this <laughs> I don't know well, it, yeah. it was hit on my head <laughs> <laughs> I remember yeah yeah I think and and you sort of like and I landed the hit and you sort of nodded and went, ha, of course. 
And then I was like, what does that mean? And then the rest of the evening, you were just throwing me about the place and like just knocking me down. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> I think that you had have a bit false memories. I think it wasn't that bad, definitely. I remember it was a challenging fight. Though I remember, uh, yeah, I told you at fight camp as well that you had a few particular weaknesses which I didn't hesitate to exploit. <laughs> So I didn't go for your strengths, I went for your weaknesses. And yeah, it's yeah. actually what, what was I saying about competitions that like spotting the weaknesses is a, is a skill and it's a martial artist skill. And uh, how would you train it in other situations? I don't know. Yeah, how, I mean, is it something that you could describe? Like if you see somebody um, what is it you're looking for? What are the key things that you're looking for? Oh, well, I can't, it's a very difficult question. Yeah. Somebody asked me at one point, like when you see somebody and you can tell that they're new and they're nervous, like how can you tell? I'm like, I don't know, man, you can just tell it's, you know, but I, it is a difficult thing to describe. Yes, I think kind of, uh first of all uh, well let me try to go from uh top to bottom to be a bit easier uh when you have a experienced fencer when you have like a complete fencer let's say there is a complete fencer probably there is no complete fencer in modern world maybe there were back then we don't know and um the complete fencer should know or should like their body, his or her body should, and mind and consciousness and unconsciousness should know each movement, each um, each kind of position, each guard, in a way that they're not kind of consciously thinking about it. They always know what to do next. And, uh, and they have plan A, B, and C. So in, from each situation, they have A, B, C, maybe even D and E, and maybe even more. Um, and when you see that, uh, for example, you fight with something or you kind of start sparring and you see that, for example, they're always going from one particular guard to another, like for a certain move, always again and again and again there could be two options either they're practicing this move which is completely uh, valid or they don't know anything else they all they know don't know what to do and this is an example of uh, a weakness if you see uh, your opponent in this guard and you can foresee what they would do next you have an advantage and i think it was exactly the story uh, when you came to me cross and i told you that you were like in a low guard, your point was in, in, in the uh, in the floor, and uh, you always uh, when I started engaging, you always what always what you were doing, you were rising your point and sit, and there was no continue kind of threat in this, no continuation, no understanding. So I was just exploiting this weakness, this point. Uh, but I think it's kind of part of the story. Uh, some other story, well. Sometimes it's just visible indeed, how they move. I think uh, on, on your podcast, I think Jay was uh, said it's that uh, you can understand elegance of movements and elegance is efficiency. So kind of you immediately understand when the movements are efficient or when they're inefficient. Although it's kind of next level when you can simulate an efficient movements, but I think nobody in modern humor kind of on this level yet. So play mind games to simulate an efficient movement to trick your opponents that they think this, well, I, I could believe that someone did it, well, when they did it in the 15th, 16th, 17th century, but I don't believe anyone could do this right now. Yeah. And I suppose the, the context is different as well, you know? Um, yes, definitely. Yeah. Because... Uh, like that kind of efficiency comes from like just straight up professionalism, I guess. And I, I think that that's, I, I think that that's not something um, we're 
used to yet you know uh, a lot of the people who are humorists are kind of like first generation um and maybe like down the line when we start to see people who you know their grandparents you know their grandparents did humor and they you know they grew up with it and and uh it's something that they do week in week out you know three four five days a week then we'll start to see that kind of uh efficiency economy of movement all that sort of stuff um i think we're well, even seeing possibly uh, it's difficult sorry yeah no no no. i was gonna say i think we're even yeah, seeing. i, I just <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought you were sorry. <laughs> no, no. I said that. Yeah, it's difficult to predict what what did you want to say. Sorry. No, no. It's. Um, I was. I was just going to say. I think we're slightly seeing it now. Like, if you look at Hema, you know, um, sort of ten years ago. Like, even if it like, even if you could call it Hema ten years ago, um, versus what it is now. Uh, some of the some of the stuff that we're seeing is so much cleaner, so much more defined and recognizable. Yes, yes, I agree. With all kind of it's always uh, going down to definition of what is HEMA. Obviously, there are HEMA groups who don't do sparrings and outside sparring, you kind of hardly can uh, understand effectiveness of ones. Uh, and also, there is a HEMA with a weapon which couldn't be sparred, I don't know, like arms. You're yeah. realistically you couldn't spar with arms. And you can have a nice free play, but something I would not go to in competition with uh, arm. Same. Not with random people, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I maybe would go with you, I trust you, but yeah. It's like I'm up for sparring with Montante, but with certain people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, you know, um, Montante is like that's that's great fun, and I really enjoyed having um, a fight because I I got uh, I got one from you guys from Tempest Fugitives mm -hmm. had a had a couple of fights with Montante at uh, fight camp. Um, Melissa tried to convince me not to take it, and I was like, no, nah, I'm definitely <laughs> taking it, and I'm glad I did. I had some fantastic fights, but. Even with like Montanto versus Polax, the point of rotation is just like the weight is so different. You know what I mean? It's it's like yeah, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't fight as like a, a stranger with uh, with Polax. You know, um, yeah. And uh, I've got a guy in my group, Alan, and he he's made some fantastic uh, Polax heads. Um, mm -hmm. And they're they're great because they're light enough that you can not kill somebody but heavy enough that you're not kind of just whipping something around and it's like a, you know a, a pool noodle it's not really a realistic representation of anything um and they you know they are good but even then do you know what i mean i'm, I'm like that's still I'm like it's still mass on the end of a stick um yeah so well jordan i, I came from russian larping we yeah for, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> for LARPing. <laughs> <laughs> this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I personally was using it in LARPing and in melee games uh, with more or less full force strikes. It's fine. It's fine. Though it's different level of protection and different level of competitiveness, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, like, the, I've got a, a student, um, Pavel, and he contacted me today actually and he's he's gone he's uh polish i think he's gone back to Poland to do some larp and i mean they've got some crazy larp out there you know um like it, it and it puts a lot of the reenactment battles that i've done to shame you know the the size the scope of them um and he's like oh i just did um like 18 one-to-one -one duels and he's like, and I won all 18. I'm really pleased. And I'm like, yeah, you should be. That's awesome stuff. Um, and uh, it, it's it's really funny because like I'm I'm trying to gauge like the level of skill that uh, you know that that LARPers have and what they would then sort of take into fencing because he's good and a majority of of what he's done is LARP. And I mean the only the only thing that I've kind of given him really is, dude, stop doubling. 
right? Because um, <laughs> yeah. I, I like I hate doubles, and I said this to like my students at the start of um start of a class once. I was like, imagine if I was teaching you self defense. And I said, okay, step one, let them stab you in the body. Step two, you gouge their eyes out. You wouldn't stick around, <laughs> would you? You'd leave. I was like, so why are you doing it in the class kind of thing? Um, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so he's stopped doing that now. And uh, he's really good. And I'm like, so I'm trying to gauge like what, what level it is. Because it's the same with reenactment. You get some absolutely fantastic... Um, you know, like fighters come out of reenactment um, and they have no kind of, uh, they haven't studied any of the sources. They haven't studied anything formal, really. They're just quick and good, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, I can tell about Russian Larkin and reenactment. Uh, and, well, I know kind of styles of trainings there and... Let's be honest, some top, some winners of uh, Battle of the Nations uh, in one-to-one uh, fights came from Russian LARPing, or they do participate in Russian LARPing at least, <coughs> uh, as well as I think uh, most of uh, Bukurt team is also participating in some LARPing events. So they all kind of, it's so fun in games, so they say. And, uh, can I say much about reenactment, but a LARPing teaches a lot about you know, fighting on the ground, a sense of distance, because, uh, well, you're mostly fighting based, based on distance and fighting with unequal weapons, again, like spear against a like, sword and shield, or, and avoiding, uh, I don't know, uh, arrows and uh, bolts from ranged weapons. This kind of stuff is kind of how you notice reaction again. These are all completely different things. And these are things which are not trained well in uh, at least how, uh, from what I see in the UK and some other areas as well. I actually can tell a story from my first club. Um, uh, back in Russian university, as I said it was kind of mixed of everything, and uh, we had some people who did kind of rules and HMB stuff, um, and uh, we were practicing some drill, some drill from uh, hot and cold steel, and uh, with uh, steel heavy swords like 1.4 kilos, you know, like this proper, not very well-balanced source. And two guys were practicing in full speed without any protection. And <clears throat> so one guy failed defense, I don't know, to his head or to his chest. And his kind of partner managed to stop his 1.4 kills full steel, not balanced sword in the right moment because of uh, kind of right uh, muscle development. And this is, again, something uh, we actually don't do in HEMA. We don't develop the right muscles. We, uh, I mean, when we do drills, we do it in half speed. When we do technique, we're learning it's half speed. But uh, what, how do you uh, develop this body, uh, the body mechanics and muscles, which uh, uh, are responsible for generating the force and power for a strike? The same, the same muscles are respon uh, responsible for stopping a strike, if you think about it. And for this reason, for example, uh, Russian larpers are very strong, and uh, kind of many of them go into HMB or HEMA tournaments uh, and so on, but they can stop the strike on a larp with a heavy sword or whatever. Uh, so for me, it's working with a bell, something against something. Uh, not very often done in, in UK HEMA or in some other, in other areas as well, but UK HEMA is uh, more known for me. And I hope to kind of improve it and we have a plan in Tempus, which is in the club when we will reopen. So I think it should be this month or next month, so we should have a kind of more sessions aimed more on development of body, body mechanics. Rather than technique. Technique is also important, but body mechanics, without body mechanics, you can perform 
good technique in reality in full speed uh, safe way yeah yeah uh, and it is again that's something that we see a lot in other martial arts is is the development of like sort of isolating certain skills so that you can bring it to the whole and make it more um yeah and just improve people uh overall uh or improve well martial artists not improve people um, <laughs> <laughs> well improve people as well you know like yeah, yeah. um yeah so Tempest Fugitives is so you're you're going to be reopening uh, that this month, you say? Um, uh, so it's obviously a better question to Jay uh, because our uh, hall was used as testing center, I believe. Oh and, wow! Uh, yeah, I mean we have a nice, beautiful, beautiful hall in uh, Vauxhall hmm. uh, in London, and uh, it's in a listed building, so it's a beautiful one. But because it's near Vauxhall, it's a very convenient place, and it's community hall. Well, it was used as, I think, uh, as a, well, a testing center or, or vaccination center, something like this. So I think we should have it back soon. But again, it's kind of better to contact Jay to. It's a definitive answer for this. Yeah, but but that's awesome that you know things are sort of opening back up for you guys. Yes, uh, definitely. Because yeah. <laughs> I know you've missed it. Like when we when we spoke at uh, fight camp, and it's like, yeah. hey man, you're going to be fighting, and you're like, oh no, I've got to do. I've got you know, I've got to watch the stall, and I've got this to do. I've got that to do. And then I saw you in the field, and you're like basically jumping up and down on the spot, going, "I've you know, I found some time. I'm going to fight people." Yes, um, I mean, beating feet and people is fun, kind of. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, no, it was good. Uh, it, it was. It was good to fight. Um, it was a really strange experience for me because there were people that I was fighting against that I'm like, oh, okay, you've like, you know, you've given me trouble before. I'm really looking, you know, I'm, I'm really thinking that uh, I'm going to get tuned up here. And then I was like, okay, I did a little bit better there than I thought I was going to. And then I'd fight people who I was like, yeah, you know what? Um, I fought you before. I remember, I remember it very much went my way. And they were giving me such a hard time. Um, and so it was this, not a reversal, definitely not a reversal. I think everybody kicked my ass at some point or another over the weekend, you know. <laughs> but um, it was just, yeah, it was just such a, like, it, there were a lot of very hard fights, um, which is a good thing. Because, like, I like I obviously want UK HEMA to improve. But then I talk to people about the stuff, like the uh, the experiences they have at like Swordfish and Dutch Lions and, you know, these sort of things. And they're just like, the caliber of fencing is just so much higher. Um, well, it's, it's a difficult question. First of all, I'm, like, I, I'm a list of Swordfish, so <laughs> there is a certain blank there. Yeah. Uh, it's first thing. Second, um, we're speaking about Lancelot here, and UK humor is not uh, is well, well more well developed in uh, not on Lancelot, so like size work. I think we Italy and UK is kind of uh, ahead of everyone. Rapper and Doug are obviously clubs like School of the Sword, Renaissance uh, Fencing Club, uh, LHFC, and well. Uh, ah, oh, sorry, a chef, Thomas Brothers Club, academic officer, HF, whatever. And uh, well, it's growing. I mean, school sport has three chapters alone. Uh, and uh, well, uh, I think British people won half of swordfish, uh, and come on, like swordfish has its own problem. I will not dive deep into it, but. Uh, when I went there, like uh, organization-wise, uh, there were issues which affected uh, level fencing. Let's say this way. Also, you need to keep in mind when people are going uh, abroad for competitions, uh, they are more tired. Uh, they performing not as well as they performing in their home country. Just for coming, you have a uh, long flight. You're sleeping in the 
at best in the hotel or on the, um, in a whole floor. So it's kind of difficult sleep, so on so forth. But again, UK have swordfish medals. Lashline Cup, well, it's, we don't have, I think, Lashline Cup, but one or two people usually go, go, go there. So. Uh, and again, it's kind of story from back like three, four years ago. And in the last three, four years, especially after the start of Wessex League, sorry, and Albion uh, is growing better and better. Yeah. So on one hand, yeah, I understand you. And uh, coming to a point, I was actually, <laughs> I was beaten by everyone, but you know, I gained too much weight, always lock down and being a father also eating weight, you know, less time for training and a, a lazy person in this way. Uh, but yeah, I fenced someone, I actually don't remember his name for me, stupid me, uh, well, a guy from uh, Midlands, from Midlands, he said, oh, I started fencing like in March. Uh, he like almost kicked my ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, good, good for you. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I don't know my level at the moment at all. And it, it, it's absolutely fine. We kind of new world now, so we uh, all our skills are reset. <laughs> kind of, yeah. you know, like restart of the game. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I had like I had a couple of those where it's like somebody you know they're like yeah, how long you know I'm like how long have you been doing this and they're like yeah you know two months whatever and I'm like <laughs> <laughs> fuck you you know <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm like you know I trained throughout lockdown I was like because I got um, how old I think it was my 32nd birthday um, yeah for the first time in my life you know melissa made me a birthday cake and you know and i was there and i was chatting with my students on on uh, zoom or whatever and uh, i had like i had some cake and then i had a little bit more and for the first time in my life there was like overlap you know like like my stomach was overlapping my belt a little bit and i'm like <laughs> and i i know and, I, and i'm i'm a really like i'm i'm a very hard gainer like i find it really hard to put on muscle and i find it really hard to put on weight so I was, uh, I well, was like, what? give it a year more. <laughs> I'm like, a year older than you, stuff like this. So yeah. give it a year more. <laughs> I, yeah, I've got a few friends who are like, you know, like a good five years older than me. And they're like, uh huh, uh huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You wait, you wait and see what happens when your metabolism just decides to give up. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, and I'm like, yeah, cool, okay, you know, like, I sure, like, I get it, um, because I, I sort of, that happened, I was like, shit, I need to, what was the last thing I did, and I remembered, like, two days ago, I picked up a sword, and I hit the pell for, like, 15 minutes, and that was it, and I was like, okay, I need to, you know, I need to get back on top of this kind of thing, so I did, um, and then we came out of lockdown and it was great. And I was like, yeah, cool. I'm, I'm ready to get back on, uh, you know, back on track. And I wrote uh, a bingo book, like of all the people that I wanted to fight. And I was like, and your name was on it. And Marsha's name was on it in a nice way, in a, you know, in a, you know, in the, in the, in the highest, highest order of respect kind of way, your name's on it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, cool. These are, and then we went back into lockdown. I was like, shit. So this, and then the cycle began again, you know, um, and so I was like, okay, yeah, but hitting the pell, it, 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 do you know what I mean? Like it, it um, it's fine, but, and you get good at certain cuts, but then your pell's not doing weird, unpredictable stuff. Like you, your pell isn't closing you down. Your pell isn't, you know, isn't forcing you to cover. And so like I did train. Like I, you know, I did actually train, but then I came out of lockdown, um, the second lockdown, and I fought people um, from the AHF, and I fought John Middleton as well, and uh, and he's like, oh, I haven't trained in like two years, and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, let's see how this goes. <laughs> and he kicked my ass, and I'm like, for fuck's sake, so like, you know, 
Oh, well, John is a beautiful cheater in this way. He said, oh, I don't train him, but he does Tai Chi and all, and he runs a club, so kind of, oh, no, it's not absolutely yeah. correct. <laughs> that makes me feel better, so, yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it was just like, oh, yeah, this is different. Like, it, you know, it's... Um, so I think you're right, it is a new world. It's, it's a really, you know, it, it's really straight. And, like, for you, it's going to be doubly difficult because you know Marsha getting back to to training for example like you know that that i like i, I don't even know if that's something that she's started or... uh no no i think it'll take a bit more time yeah and you know um i have no idea i've never given birth so i <laughs> <laughs> You know, I don't know what. Uh, well, what well, there are other problems as well, kind of uh, adult life, you know, yeah, house uh, and other stuff like. Yeah, adult life sucks. It's like it is. Sometimes it is. Yeah, yeah. you kind of you you no longer belong to yourself, basically. And yeah, oh well, I want to go for a sparring. Um, no, I can't go for sparring because, I don't know, uh, Masha needs to do something uh, and I need to do babysitting or vice versa and need to, like, weekly shopping should be done and I don't know what I like. Uh, uh, the garden should be cleaned um, so on and so forth. Well. <laughs> yeah and i mean you're you're adding tempest fugitives into the mix there the you know the, the european branch opening up and uh yeah. all of that sort of stuff that is madness it's yes it, it, it is it's kind of uh i mean running a business is nightmare by itself it's like having a kid basically <laughs> and i i kudos to jay he does actually even more than i do but still kind of uh, negotiating, uh, solving problems, uh, especially with body HMRC, or not even HMRC that much, but with body parcel force, FedEx and other shipping companies, which are stupid. Yeah. And, uh, well, yeah. parcels going to, instead of UK, they're going to Canada. So we had a story when our parcel went to Canada instead of the case. So it's as pressure because we have stuff on back order. And obviously we don't want to upset customers, but we do everything we could, but sometimes some stuff is just out of our control. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like kudos to Jay. Um, I had like a bit of a problem with uh, my my Montanta, and he moved heaven and earth to get it sorted. Um, you know, and uh, you know he he's he's been in touch with some of my students whenever there's been an issue with the courier. And like, look, I will actually drive to wherever I need to go to to sort it out. Um, so, I mean, as far as customer service goes, you can't really say fairer than that. Um, like uh, to like literally take it to where it needs to be is, uh, is a hell of an undertaking. I mean, I wouldn't, I'd be like, it's gone. It's not, you know, it's no longer in my hands. It's, it's a you problem now, but then I don't, you know, I don't run, uh, that kind of business. So it's fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, obviously customer site is important well we're doing stuff for community in the end of the day uh well it's business and uh, it should pay for it but trust me it's not as big as i don't know whatever else i don't know like selling alcohol or whatever <laughs> oh it's uh, we hope we create uh, fair enough fair amount of value so people can buy stuff and uh, i think jay said many times we selling stuff we trust we use ourselves and we can't use at the same time to source obviously but all the stuff we're selling we trust ourselves and we have stories when we had to drop a supplier because quality was not uh, to 
our based not good enough basically or has such stories yeah yeah because that's um i mean that that's the thing isn't it when you sort of sponsor something when you promote something it's not just their reputation it's yours as well yes yes uh, most of the time people don't understand when we're just resellers for something and something goes bad but well we're always trying to solve it anyway so. yeah and the thing is with like hema equipment it's you know <clears throat> it's all kind of still at the experimental stage anyway you know even um uh, even sort of well-tested swords and things like I, I you know, I, I, I've seen a number of the uh, Aureus swords and I love my Aureus. I think it's fantastic, but I've seen a number of them on Facebook that have been broken that, have, you know, that have, uh, and I mean, I, I like all swords break and that's not like a criticism of them, but the, the sort of like lifespan that they have is not, you know, it, it's not what people think it's going to be um and so yeah it's like everything uh, you know and masks breaking and and uh and equipment breaking and all this sort of stuff it's because it's still sort of developing um so yeah well yes uh on, on one hand yes uh it's still in development obviously obviously uh, there is not much science behind uh what forces do we use? What kind of uh, protection should be there? And uh, well, swords will break anyway. And uh, for me, usually like two years is a, a usual lifespan of a sword. Because at the end of the day, if you have a piece of steel and you constantly pushing it on someone's head, it will break eventually. Or the head was the sword. That's <laughs> head doesn't matter sorts of matters yeah. um <laughs> yeah and obviously kind of making hema sources actually a complete nightmare uh i, I have quite good relationships with uh, alex uh, stankevich alexander stankevich uh we have long chats on, on sky um uh, with him quite often and well it takes them a long time to develop uh, just just to give you an example, it took them a year to develop the standard feather shirt. Uh, well, trial and error, trial and error, because there is no, um, how's it? I think there is no scientific approach to how to make a proper hemosaurs because there is no, no big enough uh, demand, let's say. So I don't know. Uh, let's say an average hemo supplier like Peton, CD, Regine, they do a few hundred swords a month. And if you think about, I don't know, sport fencing, so they do thousands of them, thousands and thousands for 100 years. And uh, there is a whole science behind it how they should be made not in, in order not to penetrate. Uh, your partner or if they break or and how they should bend and so on and so forth and same story with uh, protective equipment we kind of trying to utilize uh, equipment made for other areas uh, as close as possible and for example masks i mean well we have some ideas we're actually working on masks uh, on uh, better masks but it will take forever i think i don't know when we could uh, find a good solution also again all this product development not only requires time but it requires a lot of money if you think and so is uh, no that money in human world yet yeah and i speaking about i mean completely different scale so if as i said like, like sword making like see kilet and rene or whatever hundreds swords and hundreds and others are thousands so it's at least 10 times more money needed to properly develop and but i think it would, it would go there uh, because i well money is a question of uh number of customers yeah so if you have 100 customers of thousand or thousand customers you have like Times, times more money to invest into developing um, 
new products. And even with uh, this little, uh, this kind of what we have, we're trying to do all the best we can. We, uh, for example, you've seen it already, you posted on Facebook, I believe on Instagram as well, our repair glass, which were designed specific, specifically for uh, human repair because the 800 neutrons, so they penetrate to uh, save. Safe, like the have been resistant. 800 newton is uh, support fencing, Olympic fencing penetration demand, which actually I think higher than needed for HEMA because HEMA blades are much thicker and less likely to break. Though 800 newton is is a good uh, way, and but they are a bit padded, uh, so like cuts with rapier should not break your wrist or whatever so and they have a long calf uh padded calf quite rigid so yeah well we are working on uh, on that way but it's it's a long road to uh, to cover so at this point the audio did get cut off if you want to get in touch with alexander makarov or jay maxwell you can visit www.tempestswords.co.uk if you want to train with them that's where you can go you can also hit them up if you want to have a look at what they've got on offer in their store. If you have any questions about HEMA, visit www.academyofsteel.com or you can go to info at academyofsteel.com and shoot us over a question. Or you can find us at Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook and TikTok.